This is Truth and Love Ministries, where we bring people home to God by learning His truth and experiencing His unending love. This week, we're in a series called Praying for the People Who Hurt Us, where we examine the things that Jesus said on the cross when the world hurt Him. We pray this message refreshes you and speaks encouragement to whatever is going on in your life right now. Now, let's take a listen to the message. There's a story in the Bible in John chapter 5 when Jesus was on his journey. He came through this town and he came across the porch of Solomon, they call it. I think that's the name of it. Anyway, in this porch, there were a bunch of lame folks, people sick, people couldn't walk, people had various diseases. And the Bible says that they were waiting on the troubling of the water that on occasion at a certain season an angel would come down and he would stir the water and when he stirred the water they say the first person that stepped in was made whole of whatever disease they had and so when Jesus came it said he came upon a man that had been there 38 years 38 years and Jesus asked him now, I don't know whether he had been at this pool 38 years, but I do know he had been sick 38 years, and he could have potentially been there 38 years. But when Jesus came upon him, he said, Will thou be made whole? Now, to me, that sounds like a question that kind of sort of don't make sense. Because if he's sitting at a pool waiting for the troubling of the water so that he can get in and the first one that gets in is made healed, made whole, then why would Jesus ask the question, do you want to be healed? He's at a place where everybody there want to be healed. And so when Jesus asked him that question, he said, when I go to step down into the water, another make it there before me. And he also said, I don't have nobody to help me. In other words, he didn't really answer the question. Because the question was, do you want to be made whole? And most of the time when God asks us the question, we give him everything but the answer that he's looking for. And he said, somebody always get there before me and I don't have anybody to help me. And Jesus posed the question to him again and he said, do you want to be made whole? And then he said, take up your bed and walk. My point about that story is this, that every one of us are damaged goods. And the question to every one of us, do you want to be made whole? Because, you know, we are a spirit, we have a soul, we live in a body, and God will not violate your will. Most of us just want to be, just want life to get better, truthfully. Being whole means that I never have to visit this area of trouble in my life again. God, is going, God will fix it. And in order to fix it, you got to get to the root cause of it, right? You can't treat a symptom. you got to treat the root cause. And so today... I want to start a new series, and, and basically it is um, praying for the person who causes you pain. And, and I'm dealing with the seven phrases that Jesus spoke from the cross. He spoke seven things from the cross. He, he, when, he, when he was hanging on the cross, there were some things that he said. And, and this may be difficult for a lot of us, a lot of people, is actually praying for the person who causes you, you pain. Pray for that person who causes you pain. So, this is what Jesus prayed on the cross in Luke chapter 23, verse 24. He said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Note what he said, Father, forgive them. Why? Most folk don't believe that when folks do stuff wrong. And then in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, he said this, God demonstrates his love for us in this, 
that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So how did God demonstrate his love for us? Come on now, right there. It, it's, it's an open book question. It's, it's, the answer is on the board. God demonstrates his own love for us in this. In what? That while we were sinners, he did what? He died for us. Now, Jesus demonstrated his love for us in a lot of different ways. If you remember in John chapter 13, he said he made his love manifest. He showed the fullness of his love. And so basically what he's saying is, is that is, is Jesus, when he, after he said that, he went, he went ahead and did what? He washed the disciples' feet. He demonstrated his love by washing their feet. And then they had the Last Supper, and after the Last Supper, he went into the Garden of Gethsemane, and from the Garden of Gethsemane, he actually went to the cross. And in all of that, he was demonstrating his love for mankind. So here's the problem. There are a lot of people that believe Jesus died and rose from the dead, but they don't feel that God loves them. Sometimes situations, circumstances, our life be all messed up and tore up and we go through so much and we don't feel that God loves us. We believe it, that Jesus died and we believe that he rose, but we don't feel that God loves us. A lot of us don't feel that way because what? We done messed up so much we feel like he can't love us. So maybe you can identify with that and maybe you know about the cross and maybe you know that Jesus suffered and died, but maybe you don't know this. That, that I want you to get to the place where you can say this, these words. No one has ever loved me like this. Nobody has ever loved me how Jesus loved me. Why? Because he took it to the greatest extent. Let me tell you something. A person really loves you when they are willing to die for you. I'm not talking about, I'm not talking about one of those incidents where you know, somebody break in the house, you know, and they attack my wife, and I go over there to defend her, and, you know, I get killed. That ain't just willing to die. That's just, uh, I was trying, I thought I was going to take the other person out. <laughs> you know, I, I, I wasn't planning on dying. I was planning on the other person dying. I'm not talking about that dying for somebody. You know, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about he willingly put himself in our place and died for us. So when you see the cross, you should see how he really, really loves you. Okay? Now, he spoke seven times during three hours when he was hanging on the cross. And each time he, he spoke, he revealed the extent of how much he loves us. He, he revealed the extent. So let's bring out the nails. Let's bring out the nails. You know, when I, when I see this and I think about nails, I think, you know, our view of nails is different from what he's actually talking about. Because if you think back to the story of Thomas, you remember the story of Thomas when, when the Lord had appeared to his disciples and Thomas wasn't there. And when Thomas came back, they said, Thomas, we've seen the Lord. And, and Thomas said, except I put my finger in the holes in his hands, and thrust my hand in his side, I will not believe. Okay? So I want you to just, just look. These are, these are the two, two, of, two of the smallest fingers on my hand. Neither one of those are nail size. Even if I put my, my pinky in a hole in his hand, that's bigger than a nail you ever use in the in run night. It, 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 so it couldn't have been a nail. So when we're talking about driving something in his hand, we're actually talking about a spike. We're talking about almost, almost railroad tie size, almost railroad spike size. So when you see the word, when we start bringing out the nails, I don't want you to think about the little nails that we use because if, if we got nailed up with what we nail with, guess what? When he, they dropped his body, that, that cross in the hole, the nails would have came through his hand because of the, body, the weight of his body. So he had to have something pretty good size to hold him on that cross. So bringing out the nails, he's been arrested, he's tried, he condemned, the Jews and the Gentiles rejected him, the educated elite and the common people 
Everybody has rejected him. You know, and then when I think about Isaiah chapter 53, I want you to think about this. When Jesus was being tried, they said he covered his head. They put a, they put a cloth over his head, and, and, and men would walk by and hit him and say to him, who hit you? Prophesy. Tell me who hit you. If you're a prophet, tell me who hit you. And I want you to just imagine somebody hitting you in your face all night for hours on end. And Isaiah chapter 53 actually says that he was disfigured to the place where he didn't even look like a man. And what, what it makes me think of is beauty and the beast. You could tell it was a man, but he didn't really look like a man. His face was disfigured. So everybody had rejected him. He had been scourged, mocked, beaten, crown of thorns pressed on his head, and the, and, the, and the soldiers are getting ready to dry the nails in his hand. The soldiers are getting ready to dry the nails in his hand. They're getting ready to finish it. So we got to see ourselves here because all of us are involved. Every one of us was involved. The nailing is what always happens whenever we, when our will clash with the will of God. Whenever your will clash with God's will and you, you choose to live free, you choose to live separate from God, you are driving a nail in Jesus' hand. Every time your will, remember this now, every one of us got a will. God got a will for us, and when we choose our will, we're driving nails. And we nail, we have to nail the sovereign Lord to the cross. We don't have an alternative. Because if we want to live the way we want to live, and let's tell the truth, how many folk want to live the way they want to live? We, 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 try, to, we try to replace the living God with a God to our own liking. And let me tell you what we do. Let me tell you what most folks do. Most folks try to find churches that appeal to them. They, they want to find somewhere where they can be. I, I hear folks all the time say, I, I, I want to go where I'm comfortable. Let me tell you something. When you get in church and you get comfortable, you're in the wrong place. You're in the wrong place. This is not a place for us to be comfortable. This is not, we're not to choose church because of what we like. We should be God-led. And let me tell you something. If I don't say something that cross you, you're in the wrong place. Because God didn't, does not bring us here. We're, we, we, we shouldn't seek out a God. And I'm going to tell you something. A lot of churches are full because people, people talk about certain things. They eliminate certain things from the gospel. They don't want to talk about certain things because they, they don't want to drive away people. They want to appeal and appease everybody. I'm going to tell you something. This, this, this truly is not for everybody. And everybody ain't going to like it. Everybody ain't going to like it. So as they nail Jesus, they're declaring in the name of all mankind, everybody, all included, every one of us. They, they declaring in that name that, that we're, we're placing the Lord on the cross. And we're doing that in everybody's name. Everybody. When we declare that we want our will, we want our way, we want to do it how we want to do it, we want to be in charge, we are declaring that we are going to put the Lord on the cross. That's the place he deserved to be. Because really that's what they were saying. They want, they want, they, they, we want an impotent, tied up, puppet God, not free, not the sovereign living God. All the theologians, politicians, common people, they had all this in common. They all agreed. They all agreed. I want you to think about that. Think about that. When, and then and get, to the, get to the point, right? Uh, uh, this point, the power is with us. We want to be in charge. We don't want God telling us what to do. So what do we do? We bring out the nails. 
We bring out the nails. And we nail the sovereign God to the cross. Why? Because we want to do what we want to do. We want to be God to ourselves. The greatest challenge that every man faces, every temp the greatest temptation that all of us face is that we want to be God of our own lives. We, we, we say we serve God. And I'm going to tell you something. I'm not talking about folks in the world. I'm talking about in the church Christian people. We want God. We want to do what we want to do, and we want God to sign off on it. We go to God with a list of telling him what to do as opposed to going to God with blank paper and asking him what we need to do. And Pilate, Pilate said, Pilate asked the question, what do I have to gain by siding with Christ, and what do I have to lose if I do so? So guess what he did? He took a poll. He asked the opinion. He said, now, do y'all want Jesus, the king of the Jews? And guess what they said? They said, crucify him. Give us Barabbas. Now, I want you to think about this. Barabbas was a known murderer. He was a known murderer. So this is what they're saying. Remember John chapter 10, verse number 10, where it says, The thief cometh not but for the steal, kill, and destroy. So here's the choice. Here's the son of God. And here's the murderer, which is the devil. So what's the choice? The choice is between the son of God and the murderer. And what did they say? Give us Barabbas. You remember what I told y'all a long time ago? I told, not a long time ago, but in a few messages back, I told y'all this, that Jesus came and he was so different. He was so different from anybody that ever came on the earth. He was talking different. He was talking about my father in heaven and, and I seen Abraham and and he was talking about stuff that we knew he wasn't old enough to see. And he was contradicting everybody. And so they just figured out the best thing for us to do is just kill him. Just get rid of him. And I'm going to tell you something. Look at the world today. Look at the world today. You can worship Buddha and won't nobody bother you. You can, you can worship Hare Krishna and won't nobody bother you. You can talk about Muhammad and won't nobody bother you. You can carry the Quran and it's okay. But guess what they want to do? Judge Roy Moore in Montgomery lost, got taken down from being a judge because he wanted the Ten Commandments in the courthouse. And they wanted the Ten Commandments out of the courthouse. And I say this. If you take the Ten Commandments out of the courthouse, then you got to counsel court. Because every trial is, thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not steal. So if you get rid of the Ten Commandments, set all the prisoners free. There's no reason to hold them. So by them not wanting the Ten Commandments, they're actually saying they don't want God. You can establish all kind of groups in school. But don't get one together and say you're going to pray. Or you're going to read the Bible. They want, they do not want it. And they're doing the same thing now. And they do it kind of silently and quietly. But it's the exact same thing. And Pilate wanted an opinion. And we are still saying we want, the, we want Barabbas. And folk wonder why the world is in the condition that it's in, it's in the shape that it's in, and why we are folk killing folks and all. You know why? Because we rejected God. We rejected God. When I, when, when back in the day, all folk had was God. Man, back, if, if this had been back in the day, man, we this church would have been too small for anything. It would have been full. And let me tell you what else it would have been. It would have been full of men. But we done made church a woman's sport. What women do. Women take the children to church. Men stay at home and watch football game and lay down and sleep. They tired. They work hard all day like women don't work. And so you can do any. You can have any of it. Except for God. Except for Jesus. Don't mention that name. 
They despise that name. And this is what they say. We will not have this man to rule over us. We won't have him to rule over us. We're not going to have it. A man who led a mission got caught in a moral failure, and since that happened, he changed his theology. Let me tell you something about denomination. You know, people, people we, got, we got Baptist, Methodist, Pentecostal, Holiness, Church of Christ. Those are, the, those are kind of sort of the main ones. And so when you look at each denomination, and, I'm, and, and I may be talking about the past. It may not be that same way now, but I'm going to tell you something. The denomination actually came from men. All this stuff came from men. Men came up with it. And let me tell you why men came up with a denomination. Denomination means that there is a part of the Bible that I want no part of. Back in the day, if you were Baptist, you believed in salvation, you believed in Jesus, but you didn't believe in nothing else. You didn't believe in living right. If you were Methodist, you believed that, that everything operated on a method and a system. And this is what they do. You have to go, in order to be a Methodist preacher, you have to go to Methodist college to preach to their people. You know, which I read a scripture that says, Jesus had these unlearned, ignorant fishermen that he chose to follow him. So show me where that fit. Show me how that works. And then you get to the Church of Christ. Church of Christ was a word, was a word, were word people. I mean, they broke the word down. They followed the word. They were word people. But they also said that the Holy Spirit was gone. The Holy Spirit left with the apostles. Let me tell you what the world would be like if the Holy Spirit wasn't in it. Every time you thought about killing somebody, it wouldn't be a thought no more. You immediately do it. The only reason why you don't do it is because the Holy Spirit restrains you. The only reason why somebody passed by your house last night and didn't break in is because the Holy Spirit told them, no, not tonight. The only reason why you had an argument or disagreement with somebody and you didn't kill them and they didn't kill you is because the Holy Spirit stopped it. If, they, if what they say is true, the Holy Spirit. And then you get, had the holiness people, and like I said, I may be talking back in the day and it may be current now. The, holy, the holiness people believed in holiness externally. In other words, you got to not wear makeup, you can't wear jewelry, women can't wear pants, they always got to wear dresses. That was holiness. And if you wore any of that stuff, you were a Jezebel. And it was all based on clothes. I remember a man coming to my house and, and my wife, ex-wife had on pants and he looked at her and he said, yo, yo, she ain't say. I said, how do you know? He said, she got on pants. Oh, really? Okay. So all a woman got to do, she ain't got to give her life to Jesus, just put on a dress. According to them. So every woman with a dress, they look at her and even though she coming out the nightclub, she say because she wearing a dress. Not only did they believe that, but they also believed in the gifts of the spirit. In other words, you would go to church and they prophesy, they speak in tongues, they lay hands on people, they run, they jump, they dance, they do all that stuff, but they taught nobody nothing. When you left, you felt good, but you didn't have a word to stand on. And denomination came from men, and, it, and all it does is divide. And I want you to understand that a den, all the denominations are just a piece of the puzzle. It's just a piece of it. And so what needs to happen is the holiness needs to get with the, with the Church of Christ people and so that the, that, the, that the holiness folk can get the word and the, and the Church of Christ people can get the spirit. And they all need to come together and meet the Baptists so they can get salvation. And then they need to meet with the Methodists so they can bring some order to what they're doing. It all makes sense. It all worked together. It's all, it's all part of a, a puzzle. But what we do is we get our piece of the puzzle and we go over here and we think we got the whole puzzle when the truth of the matter is all I got is a piece. And the only way we're ever going to see the real and true picture is, is when we bring all our pieces together and put them together, we're going to be like, wow. That's what it's supposed to look like. So if a person chooses the pathway of sin 
and don't repent, they have to crucify the sovereign Lord and replace him with an imaginary Jesus who will affirm whatever they're doing. And I'm telling you, folk want a God that will complement their lives, not be Lord of their lives. I just need him to be here when trouble comes. When I need something, when something is going on in my life, that's when I need him. And if, if they don't want to change what they're doing, I just want God to bless what I'm doing. So the soldiers take their hammers, the long spikes, and they nail the Son of God to this wooden beam that we call a cross. They lift him up on a pole, and they drop the pole into a hole in the ground. And then for the first time, after they dropped, him in, dropped that cross into that hole, can, and I want you to imagine all that now. Just imagine Jesus hanging on that cross, and his body weight is on those nails. When, he, when they drop him in, that, drop that cross into the hole, all his body weight go down on those nails. Just imagine that pain. And after all that pain, after being beat all night, being whipped with a cat of nine tails, and a cat of nine tails, it, they, they, would, they would make this whip, and it would have glass, steel, rocks, wood, anything they could find glued to it. So when they, when they hit him on the back, it automatically ripped the flesh off of him. They did that to him all night. And after doing that, they nailed him to the cross and they dropped him in the ground. And after all of that beating and all that bleeding, after being disfigured where he didn't look like a man, he finally said something. This is what he said. That's what he said. And he said it to the people that did the hurt to him. He said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Now, we would say differently. We would say, that joker know what he's doing. He just low down. He just nasty. He just messy. He know what he's doing. That's what we say. But Jesus looked at these people and said, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Man, I'm going to tell you, you're going you're gonna to look at people different when I get through. They do not know what they are doing. They do not know what they are doing. The men that nailed Jesus to the cross didn't think, listen to this, they didn't think they did anything wrong. They didn't even have a bad conscience. What does that tell you? What does that tell you about us as people? This is what it tells you. They didn't feel they needed to ask God for forgiveness. They were in the middle of committing the most terrible sin in the history of the human race. And Jesus said what? They didn't know what they were doing. This is what it says about us. It tells us that we cannot know what sin is from our own feelings of right and wrong. We don't know what it is. Because there are some things that we do that these men were killing Jesus and it didn't bother them. They didn't have no conscience. They didn't think that they had done anything wrong. If you trust your own intuition, you're going to miss the big sins. You're going to miss everything. That's why we need God to tell us what sin is. And he does that through the word. And we need to learn how to live under the word, under the scriptures. We need the scriptures to tell us what's right and what's wrong. Because what we feel is nine times out of ten, ten wrong. I was talking to a guy yesterday and he was... He was telling me all this stuff. He tell me what happened and tell me what was going on. And, you know, we, we, we talk, he talking Christian out of one side of his mouth and he talking what he feel out of the other side of his mouth. And I'm going to tell you something. What you feel ain't got nothing to do with what God say. Our thought about what God, what, what, what we think we ought to do is a hundred miles away from what God tell us, think what God said we ought to do. When we have trouble at a place, what, what, what's the first thought we say? Me. I'm leaving. I'm going. I'm, I find me somewhere else to go. I go somewhere else. I, I, I find me another job. 
Let me tell you something. I'm going to tell you what I told him. I told him, I said, man, let me tell you something. If God is working in your life, ain't nowhere you can go. David said, if, if I go to, go to heaven, he's there. If I, if, I go, if I go to the place of the dead, he's there. If I go to the uttermost parts of the sea, he's there. If I go to the highest point in the mountain, he's there. Where can I flee from your presence? Where can I go from your spirit? He said, man, no matter where you go, God is there. And I'm going to tell you something. I told him this. I said, I tried that one time. I said, man, I, I had this job and these people on the job, boy. I said, these some low-down folks here, boy. I said, these people are something serious. I said, I'm so every day, I didn't fuss. I didn't raise no ruckus with them. Every day, I got up. I went to the employment office, and I looked for me a job. Finally, I got a job. I, got, I, got, I, I, I filled out the application. I got a job. Had to take classes. So I took the classes. I passed all the classes. And they said, man, we're going to hire you. We went to Jacksonville. They sent us to Jacksonville, Florida to, for training because it was a brand new place. So I went to Jacksonville, and I learned all this stuff, man. I came back. And after working there about a year or two, Man, I found out, boy, them folks at the other place were saints. I said, these folks at this place, man, make them look like, like, like angels with halos. Them folks at that, job, at that job was something serious, buddy. I ain't never been cursed and talked to like I have on that job. And this is what God told me. He said, if you want to avoid trouble, he said, die. I said, okay, let's, think, let's talk about something else. I don't want to talk about that. And this is what else he told me. He said, if you want to get away from your trouble, how are you going to get away from it when you're taking yourself with you? Because most of your trouble in you. We want to point and blame everybody else. We want to make it look like it's everybody else. They'll leave me alone if I had another boss. They'll give me more money. If they'll do this, if we didn't have to do this, if they let me off every now and then, I do this. And guess what? You know, our, our, our job has been having difficulty with, with uh, getting parts. And, you know, one week they work, what was it, 17 hours? They work 17 hours. And so everybody complained, man, I, I can't make it all on 17 hours, man. I got bills to pay and stuff. I got stuff I got to do. I got stuff I got to take care of. So, so all of a sudden, man, we got some parts, and we start working on Saturday. Man, it won't work me to death. Man, I want need some time off. Man, I don't care how you do it. It ain't gonna never be right. Ain't nobody gonna ever. They ain't gonna never be satisfied. I'm gonna tell you what. Tell, tell, what, what do we really want? Mail a check to the house, and I don't have to come. Yeah. That's when we're going to be happy. Then we're going to be complaining in because we ain't got nothing to do. Man, I'm so bored sitting around the house. I went to, I, I used to go preach at Morningside, uh, assisted living place, and I would go there and all of those folk were 80-something years old, 87 to 90 years old, every one of them old, old people. And you know what that greatest desire was? If I could just go back to work. And here I am, I was about 50-something or 40-something, and I'm thinking, man, if I could just get out of work. And they, they 90 years old, if I could, man, if I could just go back to work. It ain't going to never work out the way we want it to. So what were they doing? What were they doing? Look, look, see, see this, this, what, this is what we miss when Jesus made that statement. They were shutting themselves out of a glorious heaven. See, that's what we miss. That's what we miss. We look at people when they do wrong and we say, yeah, they know what they're doing. No, they don't know what they're doing. I think the next one, Spurgeon said this. Look at this. Spurgeon said, it's, 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 it's like a man at the pearly gates. He see the light and the joy. He stand outside. He got a hammer and nail. And he, he, dry, he, he nailing bars up on, the, on, on, on heaven so he can't get in. He's, he's shutting his own self out. He said, that's what it's like. And why is it that way? We would say that man is mad. We say he's crazy. But what? Sin shuts people out of heaven. If you could see the joy you're spurning, you would never sin. The reason why we do what we do is because we can't see. All, you know, 
always you Rhode Island Red, the rooster, you know, that cartoon that uh, some of y'all are too young to know about. You know, the rooster was trying to teach this little boy how to build a trap. He's going to teach him how to build a trap. He, and the little boy finally built the trap, and the rooster said, let me check this trap out. He said, hey, I can, I can jump over there, and nothing happened. I can come over here, and nothing happened. I can go over there, and nothing happened. And then he said, I can get over here, and I can get the bait, and oh, and the next thing you know, he was stuck in a bottle. That's how most of us are. See, we do stuff, and there are no immediate results from it, so we think, nothing happened. But guess what? You building walls on the gates of heaven so you can't get in. Not only are you doing that, look at what the thief, the thief was crucified with Jesus, and he seized his opportunity and reached out to Jesus, and, and, and look what he said. He said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom, but not the soldiers. They were nailing the Savior to the cross. And, you know, it makes me think about what Jesus said when he said, he said, broad is the way that lead to destruction, and many there be who go in that way. And he said, narrow is the way that lead to life, and few there be that find it. And I want you to think about this crowd now. Out of all of this crowd of people, we had theologians, Educated people, common people, everybody was in that crowd. But guess what? Even the theologians that had read the scriptures and knew about Jesus coming didn't even recognize him when he got there. The man that probably should have known him the least realized who he was. Two people that day, two people recognized who Jesus was. It was the thief on the cross. The thief on the cross, he said, he said, man, hey, hey, he, said, he told the other thief, he said, he said, man, we're receiving the due reward of our sin. This man has done nothing wrong. And he looked over at Jesus and said, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said, today you will be me in paradise. And the Bible said when the Holy Spirit came out of the temple, he tore the veil from the top to the bottom. And a soldier stood out there and said, this must be the son of God. So out of all those people, people had knowledge of him coming, only two people, the narrow way. See, there's going to be a lot of people that's, that look like they're going the right way, but it's going to be few that find it. Broad is the way that leads to destruction. And I want you to understand that Jesus was not talking about in the world. He talking about in the church. There's a lot of folks in the church that ain't going to make it. They're not going to make it. And so... But, the, but, but Jesus, the, the thief said, remember me. They were rejecting grace, and some of us are doing it right now. But Jesus said they did not know what they were doing. And let me say this to you. People that do stuff to you, they do not know what they're doing. Because I'm going to tell you something. The scriptures say this. The Bible says, it's better for you to hang a millstone around your neck and be cast into the sea than you would bother touch one of my little ones. If they knew that, they wouldn't bother you. They would not bother you. They wouldn't bother you if they knew that was some consequences. But they see, they do it and they don't see nothing happen. So they think they actually literally getting away with it. Okay? So they, they, this is what they're doing. They're preparing for themselves an eternal hell. This is why Jesus said they know not what they do. Because guess what? This was what, what they were doing and they didn't even realize it. It brings sorrow in this life and judgment in the life to come. And if we knew the sorrow, if we knew the judgment, if we knew what was going to happen, we would never sin. We would never sin. And, and God gave us a, a, a view of it. In, in Luke chapter 16, there was a rich man. The Bible said he fared sumptuously every day, and he wore fine clothes. He ate the best of foods. And then, and then there was Lazarus who laid outside of his gate and ate the crumbs that fell from his, from, his, uh, 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 from his table. And the Bible said a dog came and licked his sores. And it said a rich man died and was buried. It said Lazarus died, and the angels came and gathered him and took him to Abraham's bosom. And said the rich man lifted up his eyes in hell and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in the bosom. And he said, Father Abraham, send Lazarus 
to dip his finger in water that he may cool my parched tongue, for I am in torment in these flames. And Abraham told him, those that would come from here to there can't come, and those that would come from there to here cannot come. There's a gulf between us. And he said, Father Abraham, he said, he said, send somebody back from the dead to tell my brothers. Warn them about this place. Because he said, I don't want nobody else to have to come to this place. And he said, they better hear Moses. He said, I got preachers on the earth telling them what they need to hear. He said, they better hear him because I ain't sending nobody. If one were to come back from the dead, they wouldn't believe him. My point to you is this. God gave us a view of what's going on in heaven, that in hell. There's torture, there's torment, there's isolation, there's loneliness. There is separation from God, and you don't want that to happen to you. And that's what they were dealing with. That's what they were facing. And so they were crucifying the Son of God. They didn't know. They didn't know. They didn't realize when, when they were nailing Jesus to the cross, they didn't know that they were nailing the incarnate Son of God to the cross. They didn't realize that was God. They were nailing to the cross. If they had known, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 8, they would have not crucified the Lord of glory if they had known. They didn't know. They didn't know. And there are some things we need to understand. There are some things that's, that's happening. Every time a man sins, he aims a blow at the crown of God. Every time we sin, listen, folks, every time we sin, it's at God's crown. We say, you ain't king over me. You're not Lord over me. You're not my ruler. I do what I want to do. Every time we sin, this is what we do. We aim it at the crown of God. And you, guess what? You may never stand up and say, I defy God. Nobody ever says that, do they? But every time we curse, lie, steal, and do something wrong, we're saying, I defy God. Anytime we break his law, that's what we do. We're telling him, I defy you. I don't want you ruling over me. I want no parts of you in my life. I do what I want to do. We don't, we don't stand up and say it that way. We don't understand sin until, un, until we grasp that when we sin, we sin against him. Let me say this to you. Two places in the Bible, two places in the Bible where sin, men recognized that where they sinned, they was who they were sinning against. One place is, 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 is Psalms 51. David said, have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according to the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions, wash me through from my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgression, and my sin is there before me. Against thee, thee only have I sinned, and done this evil in thy sight. David recognized that even though he slept with Uriah the Hittite's wife, even though he put Uriah the Hittite in the heat of the battle and had him killed, he realized that his sin was against God. And then you got the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15. He, he had left. He said, he said, Daddy, give me my portion of goods that I may, I, I, I can go. In other words, I'm, I'm a paraphrase. He said, give me my stuff so I can go have me a good time. It's taking you too long to die. I want my money now. It's my money and I want it now. And his daddy divided the stuff, gave it to him. The Bible said he went into a foreign country, wasted all his substance with riotous living, and he was... He had went out, had joined himself to a, a man who had pigs, and he went out to feed the hogs. And I don't know whether this was before, after, or during, but he came to the place. I don't know whether he, he, he the Bible said he desired to eat what the hogs were eating. Let me tell you something now. You done got pretty hungry, buddy. You done got pretty hungry when you ready to eat with a hog, because a hog will eat what? Anything. And I found that out when I was a little boy. We little bad children. We go kill a bird and we go throw it in the hog pen. Guess what? Hog eat him straight up. When you eating a hog, you don't know what you eat. <laughs> he done ate everything that crossed that pen. And so he said, "I send." Guess what he said? He he he. he gave, I don't know whether he it was it was, it was it was it was before he got ready to eat it, after he ate it, or while he was eating it. But the Bible says he came to himself. He said, man, my father got servants that live better than this. 
He said, I'll go, go back to my daddy. And I'll say to daddy, look what he said now. I sin where? Against heaven and in your sight. Remember this. Every sin, your sin may hurt me, but it is against God. It may hurt a person, but it's against God. So he said, I sin against heaven. All sin is against God. And when you sin, you don't know what you're doing. That's why he said, that's why Jesus said that. He said, you know not what you do. You don't know what you're doing. You don't know that you're shone in heaven. You don't know that you're preparing yourself for hell. You don't know that you're spitting in the face of God. You don't know. They didn't know what they were doing. Whether it's spur of the moment, premeditated, planned. We don't know the cost of the sin that we commit every day. If you did, you would never, ever do it. You would never do it. And you ought to do this. At the moment you're tempted, you see the horror of sin, the horror of hell that sin brings, and the full glory of heaven that it shuns. You ought to use this right here. You ought to say, and, and, and see, that, 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 see how this sin spits in the face of God? you would not fall into that sin. And you ought to use this as, an, as, as your offense, a, a defense against temptation. Say to yourself, this sin that Satan is tempting me with is a sin that shuts people out of heaven and prepares an eternal hell. If you, if you start looking at sin that way and you meditate on that and you start thinking that way, you might walk away from a few of them. You might walk away from them. This is a sin that crucified Christ. I'm driving the nail in his hand again. Wake up to what you're doing. Thank God that Jesus does not look down on them and on us and say they do not. Thank God that he, he, he do not. Thank God that Jesus does not just look down on them and on us and say they do not know what they are doing. You better be glad he looked at you and said that. Them is a big word. All of us can fit in it. And look what he said. He said, Father, forgive them. In that, he's making a, he's making a big statement when he says, Father, forgive them. Let me tell you why he's making a big statement. Because he realizes what I just said. All sin is against God. So he's basically telling them, he's asking, appealing to the one. Now, he, he was hurt by the sin. But the sin was against God. So he had appealed, he appealed unto the Father. And not only is he doing that, not only is he saying, Father, forgive them for they know not what they're doing, this is what he's doing too. He's, he, he, he loved them even while they were sinning against him. Can you imagine? These are the folks that did this to you. And you stand while you are dying. You got them on your heart. Why are you dying that you got them on your heart? Jesus said, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Love your enemies. Bless those that curse you. Do good to those that hate you. Pray for those that despitefully use you and say all manner of evil against you falsely. And this is what Jesus was doing while he was on the cross. He was loving his enemies while they were inflicting pain on him. The people that were pouring out cruelty, look. They were the very ones on his heart. They were the ones on his heart while he was hurting. He was praying for them that hurt him. They were on his heart. He had compassion on them because what? They don't know what they're doing. But Christ knows the hell that the sin brings, the heaven that it shuns, and, the, and who the sin defies. They, he knew. Christ knew. And that's why he prayed for him. He know the full way to sin you committed. Compassion. And guess what? Christians should be the most compassionate people in the world. The Bible says, he who has been forgiven much, loves much. He who has been forgiven little, loves little. And he told us in Matthew chapter 18, he told a story about a, a man that older man, and, he, and he, he told him, he said, pay me what you owe you. 
what you owe me. And the Bible said he sold all his wife and children and everything that he owned and, and payment was to be made. The man fell down and begged him and said, forgive me and I'll pay you all. And the man had compassion on him, forgave him. He loosed the man, let him go. He went out and found a man that owed him $100 and then grabbed him by the throat and said, pay me what you owe me. And the man said, have mercy on me and I'll pay you all. And he would not and put him in the prison. And the Bible said when he did that, one of the other servants saw him, went and told the master. He took the man, put him in prison and said, you will be in prison and you will be tormented until you pay the very last might. And he said, so shall my heavenly father do unto you if you not forgive everyone from your heart. We ought to be compassionate because we've been forgiven so much. You know you have. You recognize have. It is there. Think about it. Is there someone you need to forgive? Knowing what sin is and what it brings will help you grow in, in, in compassion. Christ prayed for them even when they had no interest in being in praying for themselves. I wonder, had anybody ever prayed for these people? Or was Jesus was the first person that ever prayed for them? He prays for you when nobody else will. The Bible says he's seated at the right hand of the Father forever making intercession for you. And they needed this prayer because when you break the speed limit, how many folks done broke the speed limit? And you tell the police, I didn't see no sign. And he said, what's your phone number? Because he constantly writes. Ignorance of the law is what? No excuse for breaking it. No, no excuse for breaking it. Jesus said they didn't know what they were doing, but guess what? They still broke the law, and there was still a consequence for breaking the law. They still needed forgiveness, but they didn't have no interest in it. Before they ever even thought about it, before they felt the need, before they repented, before none of them had faith, Jesus was praying for them to be forgiven. He prayed for us long before we prayed to him. His love is not, not a response to your turning. He's not responding to you turning to him. The Bible said we were like sheep gone astray. Everyone turned to his own way, but God laid on him the iniquity of us all. When we were not even thinking about him, Christ died for us. Christ asked the Father to forgive them. How is this possible? How can God forgive the worst sins and embrace the worst of sinners? How can he do it? Jesus said, Father, forgive them. Look what he did now. This is the sweetest part of the story. He was saying, don't let it fall on them. Let it fall on me. Because he knew there had to be punishment for the sin. There had to be judgment. He knew judgment was coming. So he's saying, isolate them from, isolate them, separate them from, and, and isolate me and let the judgment fall on me, not on them. That's why God was manifesting all his love on the cross. Your sin and his love. Now, everybody need to read that one. Don't go through life thinking you're a good person. Because if you do, you never learn the love of Christ that way. Guess what? You know, when most time, most time when you ask people those questions, they, 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 name, they name the five things that they think they're good at. In other words, you know, I try to treat everybody right. You know, they name, and, and they, they, don't, they, don't, they, they know about uh, 90 more that they do wrong, but they try to concentrate on them three to five that they do right, or they think they do right. And guess what? When you do that, you'll never learn the love of Christ. Guess what? The Pharisees and the scribes and all those religious people stood away when the prostitutes and the other people came to Jesus. Why? Because they saw they sin. They, saw, they didn't think they were a good person. They realized what they were. Ask God to show you more of your own sin so that you can discover more of his love. Make a habit of identifying and confessing. Psalm 139, verse 23 and 24, it says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my thoughts. See if there be any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. I always say, I always read it this way. Search me, O God, that I may know my heart. He already know it. 
Try me that I may know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. We ought to pray this every day so I can see myself. So I won't be deceived into thinking that I'm a good person and, 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 and miss out on it. He set his love on you before you gave him a single thought. And his love is flowing to you even now, today. Greatest desire is to share his life with you until you share your life with him. Are you beginning to see the full extent of his love? Are you beginning to see the full extent of Jesus' love? Can you see it? Can you come to the realization and the understanding that you are not as good as you think you are? I'm not that good person that I think I am. And then this, this, is, the, this is the main point that you need to take away from this is this. When people do stuff to you and hurt you, they're ignorant. They do not know what they're doing. Let me say this to you. Most folks that don't know God, have not been saved, are not Christians, don't have any thought of a spiritual world or any consequences to what they do. They don't realize that they're kneeling bars across heaven so they can't get in. They don't understand that they're, they're opening up a hell that they will live in eternity. They don't understand that they're spitting in God's face when they do stuff against you, when they sin. They think it's just surface level. And, and here's, here's our great, one of our greatest faults. We expect Christian results out of non-Christian people. They doing what they do. They lie, they cheat, they steal, they, they hurt people, they do stuff, they, that's what they do. So why are you surprised when it happens? They don't know. We need to be saying what Jesus said. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. If they had known, they would have not crucified the Lord of glory. So, let's end it with this. Are you one of those people that feel like I'm a good person? I don't hurt nobody, don't harm nobody, try to do right, try to live right, try to do the right thing. If you are, let me ask this question. If, I was, if you stand at the gates of heaven and God say, why should I let you in? No, back it up. First question. If you died today, are you absolutely positive and sure without a shadow of a doubt that you would go to heaven? If the answer to that question is no, if I were you, I would come to the altar. The second question is, if you died today and you were standing at the gates of heaven and God said, why should I let you in? What would you tell him? If you start telling him those three things that you thought you were good at, you know, I try to treat everybody right, try to do the right thing. You know, I might well say, I don't lie that much. I don't steal that often. <laughs> I haven't physically killed nobody, but I done killed about 20 in my mind. That's what we ought to be telling them. Because ain't none of us fit, none righteous, no, not one. I wouldn't leave today if I didn't know if I answered the first question with no, I don't know I would go to heaven because life is so fragile, life is so short. We don't know when life may end. And even if you don't believe there's a heaven and a hell, you ought not to be willing to take the risk of dying and going there. So I thank the Holy Spirit for helping us to see who we are, where we are, how we are. And like I prayed in the beginning, that he won't leave us like we are. Holy Spirit, help us today. Help us. Help us to see ourselves. Search us, O oh God, that we may know our own heart. Try us that we may know our thoughts. See if there is any wicked way in us. 
and lead us into the way everlasting. And Lord, we thank you. We praise you. We worship you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And amen. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed what you heard, make sure to subscribe and share with somebody you know. And tune in next week for more sermons from Truth and Love Ministries Church.